The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. I just know they got that bums. I'm glad you got the bums down. Yeah. Well, if you didn't know, that was Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. I like how you're holding the Well, I'm sure there's someone out there, if you're watching The Command Zone, can can see what it is. But hey, how's it going, everybody? You're watching slash listening to The Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Uh-huh. And yep. we saved the Star Trek re- reference for when uh, the professor is not on the show. Oh, that's true. I keep He's such a huge Star Trek guy. I we should have done that. I can't believe he's never seen Star Wars. <laughs> I can understand if you haven't seen the new ones, actually, because I don't really care for them. But... The Empire Strikes Back, one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. Well, so is the original Star Wars. I wouldn't put Jedi in there, though. No. Jedi was... I can't wait to see the third movie in this trilogy. I know you can't say anything about it, but if there's anything resembling an Ewok or a cash grab for a toy, I'm going to be so happy because it's just... From what I can tell, the exact same three are going to follow the same pair as the original because I have a lot of faith in Ryan Johnson. All right. Before we move into the show, let's talk about our sponsors. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That is the affiliate link that you should use next time you're going to buy some cards online or products or playmats or anything really because they have extremely fast shipping. We always get tweets about how fast they deliver to many parts of the world. So make sure you check out cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You're going to buy magic cards anyway. In fact, you should be uh, pre-ordering that iconic Masters stuff right now. Yeah, I will say I finally, finally got to play it a little bit. I mean, I think we could say that. You know, we had uh, the professor on the last episode, and we have a mystery guest. And if you pay attention on Twitter, you already know who the mystery guest is. Uh, Yeah, and we're going to be playing some some interesting uh, Iconic Masters, kind of a made-up format. Yeah, and I will say this in advance. It was one of the most interesting games of Magic I have ever played. It was a great game. It was was a great great game. game. It was a great game, yeah. The next Game Nights is awesome. Um, One of our other sponsors is Ultra Pro. You know, the Eclipse sleeves, every time we hand them to people and our mystery guests from the next Game Nights was no different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just ooh and ah. Eclipse sleeves are just the best there is. And I'm very happy right now that all of my Commander decks are in Eclipse sleeves. 100% of them. All of them. Yeah. And they're they're actually pretty high demand. So they, they come in stock and they sell right out. So keep your eye out, especially if you're using our affiliate link to get them from the Requisite sites. Finally. Final way. Oh. The last way that you can support the show, and the one that's the truest and dearest to my heart, no hate to the other sponsors, I love them all, but it's Patreon, patreon.com slash command zone. These are the people that are directly supporting the show. Uh, this is essentially what keeps us able to do this every single week without, you know, Josh gave up his job to do the command zone and game nights full time, and that's why he's here. And we do a special thing, we call out the Patreon every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Israel Solace. 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 That's a no, cool name. That is a very cool that's name. That's a that, real cool that, name. Now, that's a superhero name for that sure. That is a superhero yeah, name. Pretty sure Israel is a superhero. All right, so let's go into our main topic today. You know, one of the things we sort of have been realizing 
is that we talk about deck building a lot. In fact, we probably talk about deck building if it was a percentage on the show. It's probably like 70% of the show, <laughs> right? Right. Well, it's like deck doctors, deck techs, deck anything. Or yeah, whatever. and mana base episodes and your mana curve considerations That's true. and deck building templates. That's all deck building based stuff. Now, the part of the game that sort of gets a short shrift is gameplay mm-hmm. and gameplay decisions. Now, it's not that we've never talked about that stuff. We do politics episodes and stuff, but it's definitely the side of the game that I think gets sort of the least talked about and all even if you play standard or modern or you know i think actually playing the game and making decisions in the game is just something that for whatever reason i think it's because it's harder to talk about yeah it's more it's it's hard without having concrete references yeah exactly and we don't all have the same experiences of in game and it's hard if you're going to talk about decisions you have to set up so many little things that it it can be really tough to talk about so Anyway, that was something that we were noticing, and we wanted to do an episode where we talked about in-game decisions and kind of threat assessment and how we sort of walk through the decisions we make and why we make them, you know, in a given game and and what factors can sort of contribute to those decisions or alter or change them. Um, And one of the great things is because we've been doing game nights. Uh Uh-huh. We do have a shared experience now, right? And especially for Commander, there hasn't been a lot of this... Um, but we know a lot, most of our audience watches game nights. If you don't, you can listen along. We're still going to sort of lay out, you know, what, what the board state looks like and things like that and get everybody up to speed. But if you have watched it or if you have the time to go watch it, uh, it might be worth it before we go into this discussion, just so you have, you know, the right context for everything that we're talking about. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through some, some situations in game nights. And these are situations that, you know, we picked out because, they got some mentions in the comments or by people as things that were maybe people were saying that's a decision i think you maybe should have done this instead of this right and um so it's really interesting again because we do have a great big shared experience to sort of delve into some of these decisions and see if you know some of them are jimmy's decisions some are mine some are other players we've had on the show this is not to criticize anybody because in the moment we all sort of make decisions Based on a lot of factors, and you know, one of these in here is mine, and I'm pretty sure I, I did not play it right. Yeah, actually, there's one that I a lot of people talked about. One here that I also did that maybe I didn't play right, given what happened later on. But you know, it's really interesting because this is definitely the place where I make the most mistakes every time. Is in the moment you're filming, you have a lot going on in your head, and you're going, "I'm, oh, I'm going to do this." Yeah, or yeah, that's a really good point where you're like thinking, 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 and you're not sure, and you just have to eventually make a decision. And yeah. looking back on it, you know, it's a lot easier to see like, oh, maybe I should have done this or that. And well, especially when you know how the game turned out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I think that's something to keep in mind is we're only going to set up sort of what happened in the game prior to the moment the decision is made because what happened after is not as important because hindsight isn't super helpful because you're not going to have that the next time you go to make a decision. Yep. Um, but I do think this is a very important topic as far as just discussing more gameplay decisions. Uh, because honestly, you probably spend more time playing than you do deck building, you know, over the course of your magical career. Right. Yeah. Cause games do take a long time and they are much easier to play two games than build two decks. All right. So let's go into it. We're going to start with game nights. Episode six. This was the new Amonkhet legendary uh, creatures episode. So the guests on that show were Mel Lee and Cassius Marsh. Uh, I was playing the Hapatra deck. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, you were playing the Neheb deck. That's the um, the Rakdos Neheb, not the mono red yep. Neheb. Um, Mel was playing Temit, and Cassius was playing Semut. 
So who's actually Naya because he has she has white interactivation costs. A lot of people ask that question as well. Yeah, a lot of people were like, why can he have, you know, wall of omens? Yeah, because uh, your color identity is also tied to anything in your rules text, True. not your reminders text. Uh, I'm not going to get into it. OK, um, so I'm going to lay out the situation here. Basically, this is boiling down to Cassius's decision when he casts a turn three Ugin. So some notable things sort of to keep in mind here. Cassius is the last player to act. He actually, uh, Mel's turn was first, then mine, then Jimmy's, then Cassius's. So it's mm-hmm. his turn three, but the next turn is going to be Mel's turn four. Cash has on the board right now a Soul Ring, a Grim Monolith, a Wall of Omens, and the Ugin that he just cast off of all that stuff. Turn three Ugin. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Mel has a Soul Ring, a Smuggler's Copter, a Propaganda, and Temet. Um, I have, again, I'm playing Hapatra. I have Hapatra, two Death Touch Snake Tokens, a Wicker Bow Elder, which is a creature that comes into battlefield, gets a negative one counter, and then you can pay a green to remove the negative one counter and destroy an artifact. And I also have Gaia's Cradle. So four creatures, Gaia's Cradle. And Jimmy has a Sensei, Sensei's Divining Top. Sick. Um, so And an Ancient Tomb, I believe. So that, yeah, and an ancient tomb. <laughs> that's, that's your uh, go-to move on game nights. You get an ancient yeah, tomb out like an half ancient the time. tomb, and then that's about it. All right. <laughs> um, so some notable, so that's the board state. Um, some notable stuff that's happened so far in this game. Uh, Mel has attacked me one time with the smuggler's copter and looted. I attacked Jimmy once with Hapatra, and then I put a negative one counter on Temet. So Temet's out, but he's a 1-1 right now. Mm-hmm. Jimmy has missed a land drop, which is hardly notable for a game nights episode. Yep, yep. So Cash plays the turn three Ugin, and he has some choices here. Um, Really interesting choices. Yeah, really interesting choices. So if you don't know, Ugin comes in with seven loyalty, has a plus two ability, which will lightning bolt something, basically. Mm -hmm. He has a minus ability, and however much you minus, he exiles all colored permanents that are that CMC or less. It's absurdly powerful. Absurdly powerful. Seven. So loyalty. Yeah, and we won't worry about the ultimate because it's not something Cash can do. He didn't have doubling season before Ugin came out. So here's Cash's choices. He can minus Ugin. Uh, for four is pretty much the number because if he minuses for four, that'll bring Ugin down to three loyalty, mm-hmm. and it will kill his own Wall of Omens. But it'll get the propaganda from Mel. Mel's Temet. The Wicker Bow Elder, Hapatra, and both the Snakes. Now, what he really wants to get rid of here is the Wicker Bow Elder because the Wicker Bow can start shooting down artifacts on my next turn. So I played it, but I tapped out to play it. So mm-hmm. currently I'm tapped out. It costs a green to activate. And you have to understand that I can probably activate it twice because I can attack with Hapatra, put a, a negative one counter onto the Wicker Bow Elder, and do that again because it will now have two counters and sort of keep doing it. The, on the following turn, the following turn. And, of course, I'm in a deck that creates a lot of negative one counters. He's yep. not sure at that moment whether I can just dump with another card in my hand more negative one counters on the Wicker Bow and maybe possibly just shoot down all the artifacts on the table that aren't um, mine. That's what he's worried about. He can also choose to plus Ugin, which will bring Ugin up to nine loyalty, and just Lightning Bolt, lightning bolt the Wicker Bow Elder because it has three toughness and just take care of it. Um, he could also, I should say, Lightning Bolt, Temet, or Hapatra, right. or one of the snakes. You would never do the snakes. 
Hapatra is kind of probably the next, I would assume, on his threat assessment. And I think then, Hapatra would be first and then Temet. The, the big thing, of course, is he can't do it to the smuggler's copter. Correct. And the smuggler's copter, and that's a really good point, right? Because I think the smuggler's copter really affects this decision. Yeah, it changes. Actually, that was the key changing point of why he did what he did, is the smuggler's copter. Right, because if you, if you figure the no-brainer here is to negative four. Mm-hmm. That brings Ugin down to three loyalty. That gets rid of, like I said, the Wall of Omens, Propaganda, Temet, Wickerbull Elder, Hapatra, and both snakes. But that puts Ugin at three loyalty, which means that Mel can play any creature, crew the smuggler's copter. Replay Hapatra out of replay the graveyard up. or out of the command zone. Yep, replay Hapatra. Oh, no, sorry, Hapatra. Replay Temet. Uh, yeah, sorry. Replay Temet. Melkin, replay Temet, s- crew the smuggler's copter. It's a 3-3 flyer. Swing in and finish off Ugin for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows for sure she can do it. Because either way, Temet's either going to be in a graveyard, in the command zone. Both will be castable by Mel, who has a soul ring and plenty of mana to pay the commander tax or embalm at this point. So basically, if he negative fours, gets a bunch of cards, but guaranteed Ugin dies. Now, if he mine or if he pluses... That's going to bring Ugin up to nine loyalty. Still has the Wall of Omens out. Mm-hmm. And with Ugin at nine loyalty, it's difficult on the board right now to see how Ugin's going to die. Yeah. Also, because Mel already attacked Josh with the Smuggler's Copter, maybe she will not attack him. There's a lot of things going on. Obviously, Ugin is the biggest threat when it lands, but I remember talking about all of these things when it actually happened. Yeah, and I think... I think it's safe to assume Mel's going to smack Ugin mm-hmm. with the Smuggler's Copter. But if he's at nine loyalty, that's going to bring it down to six. Yeah. Well, then it comes to my turn. I have Hapatra and two snakes. Even though I swing everything in, block Hapatra with the uh, Wall of Omens, you still have Ugin at, what is that? Two uh, more damage. So yeah, four loyalty. Four, yeah. Which means you can now Lightning Bolt again. Jimmy has no board presence at all. Mm-hmm. So no way to smack Ugin me. unless he has haste. And even if he does, you still have Wall of Omens to probably block whatever Jimmy right. does. Because Apatra doesn't have Death Touch necessarily, and he's the one that she's going to block. So Cash has walked through all of this during the game to try and figure out, okay, what should I do with this Ugin here? He actually slammed dunked to Ugin and then went, wait, now what do I do? Yeah. So and it was he, a tough decision. Yeah, and, and it was very interesting. And so a lot of people were like, wow, why did he not minus? Because what ended up happening is that he did plus, did shoot down the Wicker Bow Elder. Mel did attack Ugin with the Smuggler's Copter, bringing... Ugin down to six loyalty, but mm-hmm. then I had Maelstrom Pulse, and I was able to just destroy Ugin straight off the board. Straight off the board. Yeah. Now Ugin being a planeswalker, it's also a lot harder. There's a lot shorter list of cards that are going to just get rid of it. Yeah, right. It's not like Swords of Plowshares. It's not going to do Path it. to Exile. There's nobody playing uh, Black White, so Vindicate, Utter End, Anguish Unmaking are not on the table as a as a card that's going to you know come out. So there's there's really not a lot in that circumstance that's commonly played in Commander anyway, that's just going to kill your Ugin. And I do think Cassius made the right decision here to... It was a gamble, but the the upside was very large. I get rid of the thing that I really want to worry about, and then I untap and I still have Ugin. Yeah. And at that point, I really have a, a very commanding lead on the table because now I'm able to just pick off everything I want. And or, he still has a soul ring and a bunch of mana left and can really deploy a lot of threats at that point. So, But I can see the argument for... If you minus there, you're guaranteed to get value. It's not the maximum value you could yeah. get. But worst case scenario, Mel swings in 
with Smuggler's Copter finishes off Ugin, but you've gotten like a five for one. Yeah, you have a ton of stuff. And here's and the, the thing. If you're making Mel spend her entire turn just to crew and do that again, then even if you do lose the Ugin, you're, Ugin, you're kind of putting Mel behind the whole turn because she has to sort of replay everything. She has to play a creature, has to crew it. Yeah. Then she'll kill Ugin. You got rid of not just, you know, the Wicker Bolt Elder, which you want to get rid of, but my entire board, and I have Guy's Cradle out. Yeah. So that sets me back a lot. Um also, and, because Mel has propaganda out, that's most effective against you. So yeah. that, that also helps out in terms of, oh, now Josh can go at Mel if he decides to. It's not so much Josh can just choose between you know me or Cassius. Right, instead of one of two, you're one of three people that might get yeah. attacked. So it's really interesting, and I don't know, what would you have done in that situation? I probably would have minused, uh, just because I can't forsake a five for one. Just I mean, I think the guy's cradle is what tips it in that favor yeah. the most, just because, obviously, you went off... I think not that next turn, but later in that game, like it really helped out a lot to have a board state already there. Yeah, I think based upon my perspective in that game, if I were cash, I would have minus because that's what you know I was sitting there thinking was don't minus, don't minus, don't yeah, minus, exactly. don't minus. If other players are saying don't minus, it's probably going to be what, yeah. When he plussed, I was like, whoo. Yeah. You know, like, okay, that's fine. It's not the worst thing that happened. Well, here's the thing. With the but minus, I knew I had Maelstrom Pulse in my hand, with too. With the minus, he still gets his original goal, which is getting rid of the Wicker Bow Elder. Correct. And if Cassius' deck... I mean, maybe this was just a, a thing of Cassius not having a very powerful hand at the time. For instance, if Ugin was the best card for him on the table and that he played from his hand, then I could see, okay, yeah, maybe I'll play so I can keep this around and, and draw out, draw down, play a longer game. But it's multiplayer. There's a lot that can happen. And you're playing with three three people that have hand. Well, two because I couldn't really do that much. So, yeah, it's one of the reasons I think planeswalkers are um, a little bit tough to play in, in multiplayers because you know you know you play it and all of a sudden every eye is going to turn yeah. towards you and try and get that thing off the table. When I play a planeswalker, I just kind of assume it's not going to make it past. I have to. Round, yeah, I'm gonna unless get as, I have a great board state. I want to get as much value right now. Yeah, because there's a whole lot of things you know that I can't see that can occur. People are going to pull out cards they might be saving mm-hmm. to get rid of something like Ugin. So they're going to use the best cards in their hand. And it's early in the game. It's turn three, so they have a ton of cards. It's not like yeah. they've wasted a bunch. So I agree, but I think it was a close decision, and I can see where he's coming from, which was he took kind of a really high upside line, which mm-hmm. is like, well, if they don't have anything, then I'm in great, I'm in great position. position to yeah. win this game now. Yeah, so yeah. I can't fault him for that. Pretty well, not to mention, like, if it got back to him and he got rid of everything on the board and he just minused Ugin at four to to two, that would kill ten, that would kill your commander Apache, and Temen, Temen, both and everything snakes. else. Yeah. yeah, so he had... And a, he would a, still have Ugin. And he would still have Ugin, yeah. So there's a lot of upside for him to keep Ugin around. Unfortunately, this is the Game Night's note. If, if there's an answer in Josh's deck... And he could have it. He has it. <laughs> well, I play a lot of answers, too. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I'm not the type. Yeah, and, and that might be another thing, too, where we don't know the playgroup or the meta that Cassius is coming from. There are definitely playgroups and metas that we've played in or people at right. GPs and things where... They just don't have that kind of stuff. That's, that's not tech. the way their playgroup goes. Each deck is trying to do its thing, but it's not trying to stop other people. Right. Whereas, you know... Yeah, I'm always I'm always packing answers, so that's the way our playgroup has kind of gone. Packing so. heat, packing JLK. heat. All right, all right. So, okay. Well, that was an interesting one. Let's go on to our next example. Right. So this was game nights number nine. This is the Commander 2017 episode. Mel Lee again was back with Sean Main, and in this game, I top decked. Just so you all know, uh, 
on turn two a fleece main line and I was giddy because I was like sweet this is perfect so fleece main mine is green and a white for a 3-3 cat 2 mana 3-3 cat and you can monstrous it which is an activated cost for 5 mana which turns it into a 5-5 hexproof indestructible so it adds 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters to it now I do have Arabo as a commander and her uh, his eminence ability can give a cat plus 3 plus 3 once each combat so I have a big cat on the board, and I have a, the ability to monstrous it. So the notable stuff that's happened up until this point is... We should say really quick, Sean's playing the wizard's deck. Yes. I'm playing the dragon deck, and Mel's playing the vampire deck. All right. So Mel has put a bounty counter on my cat with Mathis, Fiend Hunter. And what the bounty counter says is that at the end of her... At her end step, she can choose a target creature with Mathis puts a bounty counter on it. And if that creature dies, everyone gains two life and draws a card. So it's essentially... Except the person who owned the creature owned that the had creature, the bounty. Right. So it's like, hey, everyone, go after this thing. Uh, and as a result, you're all going to draw a card and gain some life. Josh had put a Curse of Opulence on Sean. And this is the card that we unfortunately didn't play correctly. But this is just means that we're incentivized to attack Sean, essentially. Yeah, everybody gets treasure if they attack Sean. Right. And Mel and I are in a bit of a feud because I hit her first with a giant fleece main line because she'd been gaining life left and right with her vampire deck. So I thought it was only appropriate. Yeah, and she had swung back at you mm-hmm. uh, with Mathis and with Edgar. Right. And put a one-one counter on her vamps at that point. It was pretty yeah. scary because Mathis also has Menace and Edgar has first strike. So I just had no good blockers at that point. Now... There are two points in this game where I could have activated Monstrous, and a lot of people were asking me why I didn't. The first turn, uh, I instead played Arbo, who's a five-mana commander, and that was turn five. Now, yeah, remember, the Monstrous ability on Fleece Main costs five mana, so a lot of people were like, why didn't you Monstrous? You have to look at the window where you even could have Monstrous. It's right. actually not that large. It's only two turns. Okay. And on turn six, I main-phased the White Sun Zenith because uh, Sean had been tapped out, so I didn't want to wait to do it. And also, uh, Josh, I wanted to have flex for Josh because he'd been, Josh was slowly becoming very threatening as well. And I thought, you know what? If there's a way to kill Josh, it's going to be to hit him with eight damage on the ground over and over again or giant cats with trample. And I played at main phase because I didn't want Sean to counter me. I also didn't really know that deck list at the time. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, it turns out it can't counter a lot, but we didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, the following turn, and this makes me wish I didn't cast at main phase, Josh casts the Ur Dragon, puts Lightning Greaves on it, Attack Sean, and with the ability from Ur-Dragon, drops Silimgar, the Drift and Death, which has a very important keyword or ability, which is anytime Silimgar attacks, uh, each creature an opponent controls gets minus one, minus, one minus one for each attacking dragon. So all my cats are 2-2s. Two if Josh swings with both of those creatures, it's going to give all of my creatures 2-2 two two and all my cats are going to die. So unfortunately for me, turn 7, I was like, crap, well, they're all going to die anyway. I'm going to cast... Divine Reckoning. Yeah, which, oh, sorry, Divine Reckoning is uh, yeah. a sort of a weird board wipe where each player chooses one of their creatures and then you. The rest die. The yeah. rest die, are destroyed. Um, so technically, turn seven, you could have uh, monstrous, monstrous again, yeah. instead of casting Divine Reckoning. But Divine Reckoning was the worst board wipe because it let you keep your Ur Dragon. It let everyone keep their best thing. But for me, I had to get the Simgar off the deck, off the table. So that's what I had to do. Sad day. So, yeah, it's really interesting, right? Because. Let's look at the turns where you could have Monstrous. Um, really, the best candidate feels like it's when you played Arbo. Yes, correct. Because, specifically, Arbo's ability is still very relevant from the command zone. So, it's still going to be doing work. Me casting Arbo and taking a turn off to do that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good value for my mana because I'm still going to get Arbo's effect had I not cast him in the first place. Thing is, at that point, I feel like you're paying five mana to put two extra power on the board mm-hmm. if you do that. Like, that's not really a very strong play. 
Um, it's much more scary from an opponent's perspective if you put your commander out. It's much bigger. Also has an, an extra ability that only works when it's in play. Yeah. The main thing, too, that I kept telling, I commented back on a lot of people's things, which is I'm a cat deck and I'm on the ground. And I have literally nothing to defend against the 10-10 Flying Dragon, which threatens to just absolutely destroy me no matter what. Uh, I can't block it. He can block me. So in my mind, with the White Sun Zenith in my hand, I thought, okay, I'm going to try and go as wide as possible and try and chip Josh down as I recognize him to be the top threat at the table at this moment. Yeah, it's a really good point because even a 5-5 indestructible hexproof fleece main line gets blocked by a 10-10 Ur-Dragon. Yeah, and it also dies very much to the Divine Reckoning. It's an 8-8 because you bump it with Erebo, but still. Um, Yeah, that... Turn five, I don't think would have been a realistic point for you to monsters. I just don't see that as a very strong play in almost any game, which is, hey, on turn five, I'm going to spend five mana and mm-hmm. I'm going to put two power onto the board. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. I know it sounds impressive, like a five, five indestructible hexproof threat, but. It's immune to board wipes. There's a lot of reasons that you could give to have it be there. But for me specifically, it definitely wasn't worth it, I don't think. Turn six, maybe. But at that same time, I knew that you'd be able to cast the Air Dragon next turn. So. And I remember specifically at the table being like, guys, let's call Josh together, please. Well, and I think any other card but Silumgar, the Drifting Death, almost. Yeah. And you're, that play is correct, right? Like, because there's not a whole bunch of dragons in the deck that board wipe you. No. So. Especially a power and toughness board wipe specifically. Yeah, and so. And one that would get really wreck me because, so. Yeah, Silumgar definitely was a very good counter to my specific game plan i didn't even know that was in the deck i mean yeah it was i mean it was lucky it's not the type of thing but i think not knowing that silmgar is gonna come out and how can you know yeah it feels like the plan of go wide because i'm not going to sort of make one big voltroni threat that's going to beat the dragon deck yeah um I also think the 5-5 five, five indestructible hexproof is not that great against Mel because she's making 1-1. One, one. Right, and she has Menace on, on Mathis. She, she's making She's making 1-1 one, one one token. She can chump block that thing forever. Um, yeah. Erebo doesn't give Trample mm-hmm. when he gives the sort of eminence ability. So, he has to be in play for that to work. Yeah, so, so again, casting him. And at the moment you cast Erebo, Mel's actually your enemy. Mm-hmm. I think it's the following turn that because of the Curse of Opulence... It's clear I'm going to be able to cast Ur Dragon. Yeah. So again, I don't think that turn five is a good point that you can monstrous. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's not going to get through vampires. It's not going to get through dragons. You don't even have to worry about getting through Sean. He's got like he's not going to be like putting a bunch of power in front of your stuff. Yeah. Sean, both you and Mel were very terrifying at that point. So yeah. I, so from my perspective, and ov- honestly, or obviously. I'm assuming like you still wouldn't monsters like knowing no. uh, even knowing what happened. I think the play at that moment was still correct. Also, like a turn two fleece main line that got in for you know a significant amount of damage is good value for that card. I wasn't expecting to ever. Uh, the You're monster- not trying to ride the fleece main line no. to victory, right? You're yeah, trying yeah, to get yeah, in there. Definitely for, not. You got in there for like twelve or eighteen points of damage yeah, total. And I thought about it too a lot. I was like, should I monstrous? Should I monstrous? And just after careful consideration, I uh, joined and went into my Rhystic study and decided it was not worth it. I think the only way I could see it is if you had some instants in your hand that were sort of um, that were situational, mm-hmm. and you could hold those open, and then that could be the backup plan if you didn't end up using them. But that's not the type of deck that that is. Yeah, it's not a, a reactive deck. If it was, then yeah, you're like I'm holding up this trick, or I'm holding up these spells in case somebody attacks me or something happens, and then yeah. that doesn't happen. Okay, I'm monstrous just to use my mana. 
But that's a deck that plays its stuff during its turn most of the time. Yeah, and I will say the entire decision would have been changed if I had something like a Path to Exile or a Swords yeah. in my hands. Because then I know I could avoid, I could, I could fade an attack from the Ur Dragon, and this way, sure, I'll monstrous it. I think at that point. But even then, the threat of Mel alone is pretty dangerous. Yeah, again, another reason you want to sort of go a little bit wide because of Mel's deck. Not so. to mention I have Divine Reckoning in my hand, and it does not look good with a indestructible hexproof creature if you... Well, if that's your only creature. If, well, if it's my fine. only creature, great. But yeah. yeah, otherwise, none of those keywords mean anything. That's the one argument I could see for Monster Sing the Fleece Mane is that you're just going to do that, and then you're going to cast Divine Reckoning as it's your only creature. Problem is, Ur-Dragon still went, like Yeah, Ur-Dragon is still chilling around. That's so, why I'm saying... So I think in that instance, you're thinking like, well, I don't really want to play Divine Reckoning... I'm oh, just, yeah. I'll play it later if I have to, but it's not an immediate strategy because, yeah, because yeah, that's not your main game plan. It was a plan. very unhappy Divine Reckoning for me. I'll say that. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Okay, to the next example. Uh, this was Game Nights number 11, the most recent one, with uh, Christine Sprankle playing Vona. Ashlyn Rose was playing um, Admiral Beckett Brass. Jimmy, you were Gishoth, and I was Tishana, Voice of Thunder. So we're on turn five. Voice of elves, more like it. <laughs> elves still have thunder there. In fact, I mean, Merfolk don't even hear thunder. They're under the water. Yeah. How can you be the voice of thunder? Thunder. Yeah, the thunder. thunder. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that should have been our, uh, know, that right? been our song. Um, okay, so we're on turn five. Sprankle has Cabal Coffers, Urborg. She uses them to cast a turn five Vona. And then on turn six, she untaps with it and has a choice between a few targets. So Vona specifically, yeah, because taps to pay seven life and destroys target permanent. It vindicates for seven life and the tap ability. And you can only do it do it during your turn, which I think kind of makes it quite a bit worse because there's a possibility Sprinkle would want to sort of wait and see what happens. Well, you'd mm-hmm. always want to wait, right, and see yeah. what happens. But she has to use it on her turn or not use it. So she's kind of on turn six. She's untapping and she's trying to decide what target to go after. And there's sort of three main targets in this game. So there's a Rampaging Ferocidon, uh, which... Check the damage. Which, if you remember, it was doing a ton of damage to me specifically, but the entire table in general, um, because anytime a creature enters the battlefield, it does one damage to, to that, that creature's, creature's controller. controller. Now, yeah. to Sprankle, that's not actually that big of a deal. She hasn't played a lot of creatures. But the Rampaging Ferocidon also has the text that says, players can't gain life. And I hit her with it once in the game. So there's that. She's been attacked with it once, but I don't think that even really worried her. The fact that players can't gain life is really big because Vona is a life gain deck. Because she has to pay seven life to, as you said, vindicate things, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the deck is built around weaponizing life gain. Getting a bunch of life so I can do Vona's ability at will, and also just synergizing with life gain with other cards because I'm already trying to gain life, so I may as well, right? Mm -hmm. So... That's a big target for her possible. There's the Chasm Skulker that I had. Now, I'd played Tishana the turn before, and Chasm Skulker had like 13 counters on it. And Chasm Skulker, when it dies, it creates a 1-1, what is it, octopus, squid, with Island Walk for each counter on it. So if she destroys the Chasm Skulker with Vona... I think I've been at 18 at that point. It's going to create 13 1-1s, which raging, Rampaging Ferocidon will then deal 13 damage to me. Putting you at putting five. Putting you at five life. Because that's important because the last target for her is Steel Hellkite, which is a 5-5 five, five flyer, but Ashland also has two of them. But Steel Hellkite, it, when it deals combat damage, it the, the controller can pay X, and then you destroy all permanents by the player that 
got delta combat damage that have CMC equal to X. Um, So let's talk about some notable stuff that happened in this game. So those are the three targets, right? Hellkite, Rampaging Ferocidon, and My Chasm Skulker. And again, Ashlyn has two Hellkites. Um, So some notable stuff that happened in this game. Jimmy has missed a land drop. (laughs) Ashlyn has been picking on me, on Josh. She took a card from my hand with the Freebooter. She's attacked me for two or three straight turns and even used the Hellkite on me once. So that's sort of, if you're Sprankle, that's a thing that's going on Mm -hmm. to the right of you that you're not actually involved in. Um, And then I just had a huge turn where I drew 10 cards with Tishana. I have Cradle of Itlamok out and about 11 creatures. So I'm very scary at that moment. Yeah. Let's make it 24 creatures. Uh, Sprankle's board is a Sarah Ascendant. She currently has 34 life, so it is a 6-6 flyer. However, the lifelink is kind of turned off because of the Rampaging Ferocidon. Correct. She has Urborgan Cabal Coffers, like we said, and she has Underworld Connections uh, to draw extra cards. And she's also about to play Revel and Riches and Drana's Emissary, which is what she ends up playing on this turn. Um, Revel and Riches because she's going to kill something with Vona, and she wants to get the treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drana's Emissary... She's kind of forced to play, use the rest of her mana right then because of the Cabal Coffers Urborg thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we are. That's the setup. There's a lot of choices. What do you think Christine should destroy with Vona or at least what do you think the thought process is in that moment if it were you? The thought process, I think, was pretty simple, which is her deck's turned off by this creature. It's been taunting her via the form of a hand puppet the entire <laughs> Take game. Take a damage. <laughs> and I haven't done anything politically to try and mitigate that ill will that she inevitably has towards me. Now, if I had seen that Chasm Skulker, I didn't see this play, by the way. When it was in the comments, mentioned in the comments, I was like, oh, interesting. H- had I seen that, I think I would have gone for the angle of like, look, attack with Vona. I will block with the Frostenum, but you have to promise, and it will get off the board, but if you promise to kill that Chasm Skulker, I think it will be better for everyone. I think oh, that you sitting, been, yeah, 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 yeah. You I being think, you in this. Yeah, just, yeah, in this situation, that I think that would have been my I best was terrified goal. of her doing it. That's why I was not talking about it at all. Yeah, but. I mean, and maybe that was that was the best part, is that <laughs> that through the sort of the vampire bloodlust of looking at me and this dang Ferocidon, it was just simply too much um, ill will towards me and my side of the table. Uh, I think she did... a. The second best play. I, I do think that killing the... I think she should have struck a deal with, with Ashland, potentially. Look, you can kill Josh with any of the Steel Kites if I do the Suez Chasm Skulker right now, and then we'll just take him out of the game entirely. But the Revel... Yeah, that's true. Just just kill him. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't think the Revel and Riches really plays into it, because once the life gain in her deck starts going, the Revel and Riches just sits there as a value engine, not necessarily a win con. And I think that's why, I think that's how you should play Revel and Riches, is not necessarily as a win con, unless you have a board wipe in that. You know, I think you should play it... Well, I think it can also be a board wipe deterrent, which right. it wasn't clear to me until she played it, and we kind of went, wait a minute, now Ashlyn can't steal Hellkite all Josh's stuff, because... Yeah that makes Christine win. But I never had really thought about it that way until that moment. Yeah. But here's the thing. Had she done that, you'd been at five life and killing you doesn't mean your creatures die. So right. that would have been a way around that. Now I think, I think she should have done that to the chasm skulker. Now that I'm looking back on it. it makes well, you're sense. making up a deal that didn't exist for her. Yeah, exactly. Though. She didn't know that was even a possible deal that could right. be made. Like l- sitting in her seat with no deal being offered. Yeah, I I think it's I think she made the right decision in that moment based on the knowledge of the board, and maybe it was just that like, look, if I don't kill this Ferocidon now, 
who knows how it's going to die, you know, is, is I, or, you know, do I need to make a deal with Ashlyn to attack Jimmy and then use her build, use the Steel Hellcat's ability to kill the Frostnon and also kill, you know, there's a lot of things that could have went down, but I think because no, no deals were made, she just did what she intended to, which is get rid of my Frostnon. Yeah, it's interesting. I think given the situation she was in with no deals sort of, and it wasn't a game where there was a lot of politics going on yeah. for whatever reason. I think we were kind of distracted by all the, the cosplay pageantry and the, co yeah, you're yeah. using your hand puppets and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it wasn't that type of game. And there are a lot of commander games where they aren't political. Not every game is like, yeah. you know, so, well, this is like smell blood and run towards it kind of game. Yeah. And, and from her seat, Ashlyn and Josh are just going at it. Mm -hmm. Like Ashlyn's just been hitting me consistently, you know, yeah, Josh has a lot of stuff, but you know it's probably going at Ashlyn, not you. You haven't done anything. So in that instance, I'm a big proponent of letting those two settle it and sort of picking off whoever's limps, right. limps out of the fight at the end. And so from that perspective, to me, looking at you, if I'm Vona, well, that's my... Like, I've been sort of set against the other half of the table here. And, you know, just so happens Jimmy has a thing that's also just flick the switch off on my deck. Yeah. So I can see her play a lot. I do like your lines of like, it might've been a moment to, to talk to everybody and be like, listen. Yeah. Because if you can make a deal with Ashlyn where like, cause you can just threaten to kill the steel Hellkite, right? To kill. Oh, one right. Like I can kill it. Like, yeah. Look, I'll get and rid it of the is steel scary Hellkite. to you. Yeah. Cause there's two of them. You have a drawn as emissary that you're, that you've played. So you can block one. So you can just make it sound like, and I think people don't do this enough, right? People don't know if you're going to make the optimum play. Mm -hmm. So you can fake that you're going to make what would be considered the unoptimum play in order to gain some leverage. So right. I think Steel Hellkite's like the last target on the list that you would realistically go after. But it is a, a thing that somebody might do because if they're just irrationally scared of a Steel Hellkite, even though it's like clear, like that's a better target, yeah. you could at least fake it. Like, man, that Steel Hellkite, I really don't like it. Maybe I should get rid of it. And that might bring Ashlyn to the table to say something like, I'm not going to attack you. Mm -hmm. Oh, you promise you're not going to attack me? And if she does, now you just got that for free. You weren't going to kill the Steel Hellkite anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And then your other deal of like, yeah, maybe I can... I don't think that would occur to me to ask, but it's an interesting thing to keep in mind in the future, which is like, listen, I want to kill that Rampaging for, for Ostadon. But it's good for all of us if I kill the Chasm Skulker and bring Josh down to five. Yeah, I promise I'll, I'll get rid of it. You attack me, I'll block. It's off the table. Yeah, then. so will you block with Rampaging for Ostadon and give me a free kill on it so I can get rid of the Chasm Skulker before it goes, and then everybody's happy, right? Yeah. And you would 100% make that deal, because otherwise she's just going to kill the Rampaging Ferocidon, yeah, and I you're going to lose it anyway. I think I was, I'm was. i almost so used to you drawing so many cards and producing so much mana that, to me, I was just like, eh, whatever. That, <laughs> that, that may be my, like, compulsive, not compulsive, my impulsive reaction to you going off isn't, guys, 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 everyone's like, look, uh, look, 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 look. It's just like... Uh, it happens. <laughs> My frost is making everyone really angry. I'm trying to draw cards. Literally can't draw them right now. You know, like stuff like that was going through my mind. So it was interesting. It was an interesting situation, though. Yeah, I think from her seat at that moment, I would have killed the frost on though. Um, not you know, given that all those deals were on the table and yeah. that there wasn't a lot of politicking. Um, I think you know that that just turns off my deck. Yeah, and I don't know what she's holding in her hand, and it's very possible that she's looking at a hand with five or six cards that say gain life in some form. Mm -hmm. And she's just thinking like, 
if I kill that thing, I basically draw these five cards because right now I can't use them and they're not doing anything. Right. You know, I doubt she had that many. I don't think the deck has like. And she she didn't have debt to the death list. She, right? drew, she drew that. that. Yeah. Because yeah. I could see that changing the game too, being like, oh well, I know I'm gonna with my cabal coffers be able to at least kill you know two people or whatever. That's another interesting point in the game, and I thought about talking about that here, and we can because we may as well. Um, do you think if Christine actually holds the debt to the deathless there, she might have a chance to win that game? Because Ashlyn has to attack me. Right. So she's sort of giving Ashlyn an extra attack against her. Against her, yeah. By playing the debt to the deathless right there. If she holds it, then Ashlyn's going to go after me and finish me off. We already knew she had enough damage, but she'd have to swing everything at me to do it. Yeah. And, you know... It's possible I get to block some stuff and we and actually knock Ashlyn down a peg. So so Christine sort of walks out of that with getting an extra untap and having a few things on Ashlyn's board die. And the same result, except for that Debt to the Deathless is way worse now because you're not going to gain twice the life because there's only one player. One player, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I think she did the right thing and it was also the most fun thing at the time. So props for that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Again, these are interesting questions to ask. Yeah. Um, I think I would have made the same plays in her seat though. All right. Well, that's why you don't play with costumes is you forget to think politically in a game like that sometimes. You're just so wild by everything that's <laughs> happening around you. All right. Our uh, last example here is from Game Nights number two. We are going all the way back. This is the first appearance of Josh playing his Vile Smasher slash Thrasios deck. Uh, I'm playing Shu Yun, the Silent Tempest. Kessler is playing a Tana and Timna deck. Timna the Weaver, Tana the Blood so Sower. Sower, yeah. And Craig is playing a Kresh the Blood Braided deck. Uh, so the setup, we're going into your turn six, and Craig just played a Massacre Worm on his turn, which gives every creature minus two, minus two, killing most of the board. Specifically, it's a really good card for Kresh to grow in a lot of power. Uh, well, it's okay because it kills creatures, but they get negative two to their power. Right. So, so when they, they die, they die. Yeah. yeah. They, they actually, their power goes down a little less. Yeah. Um, now, Craig also has Crash Out. He has a Sylvan Library and Massacre Worm. So, three things, big things. Kessler has a Revel Arc on the board. Uh, I have Shuyun, a Soul Ring, Vidalcan Orrery, Mana Vault, Scroll Rack, and Metallurgic Summoning. However, I'm very low on cards. I sort of splurged all my hand and then, then was sort of lying on the top of my deck at that point. Josh just has Vile Smasher and a Thought Vessel. Because my board just got decimated by Massacre Yeah. One. Yep. There's been no notable feuds yet in this game. There hasn't been really any attacks. I think, Jimmy, you might have hit somebody for three with Shu Yun once. Yeah, but it was I, just I, kind I of an opportunistic, once. like, I don't know, I can attack you. Yeah. There's definitely not any dynamic at the table that where anybody's sort of like, you know, they're rivals yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, the thing we don't see in this episode, and it is a little bit important, um, is that... Craig had accidentally revealed that he had Blade of Selves in hand. So he went to play the Massacre Worm, and you know how every once in a while you just pull the wrong card and put it down on the table? He'd sort of done that. Mm -hmm. And so we all knew he had Blade of Selves. And I think this colored my decision-making a little bit because I knew about that card. And so the obvious play pattern is to play Blade of Selves next, put it on the Massacre Worm, now swing. Mm -hmm. uh, make two more Massacre Worms, which is pretty scary. So... That's something that we cut out of the episode just because it's just a hard thing to show in the game. And it, and it didn't happen. Right? Yeah, exactly. So um, so here we are. It's going into my turn six, and I have enough mana up, and I've actually been holding it up to cast Chaos Warp. And I've been holding it because you want to, in Vile Smasher, cast as many things on different people's turns to mm -hmm. sort of get as many triggers as possible. Um, so the question here is, 
What's the correct target? Or is it even correct to cast Chaos Warp right now? Here's the thing. Who knows? <laughs> because Chaos Warp is chaotic. You're going to flip a card off the top of the deck and, and we'll see what happens. But the thing is, is that, one, you can't predict what's going to happen. You know that Craig's deck has a lot of bombs and a lot of powerful cards in there. Because um, it's Craig. He's going to have all the Eldrazi right. and like all the biggest, all the Praetors and everything they can fit in there. <laughs> Kessler doesn't seem particularly dangerous, but knowing his play style, he is a guy that likes to put modern and, and, and really sort of powerful combos in his deck. And we know that deck. Um, he had had it. I forget who was at the helm before, but he it's a deck he has had, and we knew it was a birthing pod deck, right? Mm-hmm. We knew it's a it's a combo deck. So, you know, that that's not something we didn't know. And Revelark is yeah. a big piece of a lot of those type of combos. You know, Karma Guide, Revelark, one of those two is going to be involved, or yeah. both, in whatever is going to eventually kill you from that deck. Yep, and I don't really have anything. I, I suppose Metallurgic Summonings it has the highest power level in terms of what could potentially happen here. But for the most part, on the board, the biggest, scariest thing is that Massacre Worm. And the fact that we knew that Craig had a Blade of Selves means that it would just become this crazy board white machine. Right. Which was really scary. Yeah. Uh, in my mind. So what ends up happening is I do Chaos Warp the Massacre Worm. <laughs> the way Chaos Warp works is you you shuffle that card into your uh, library, then you shuffle it up, and then you flip the top card. And if it's a permanent, you just put it into play. So I get rid of the Massacre Worm, but Craig flips Avengers, Avengers into car. Which is even worse with, <laughs> with the, the Blade, Blade of Selves, yeah. Because then you're putting way more plant tokens on the battlefield. That was a, definitely one of the crazier flips I've ever seen. But, I mean, you have to take out that, right? You yeah. can't. Assu- you have to assume that the Chaos Warp, because 99% of the time it's a land or it's just an instant or sorcery or it doesn't 99% matter. 99% of the time. Whatever. Very rarely. I mean, it, that's the one time I think I've ever cast Chaos Warp ever and regretted it. Oh, uh, okay. That's as far as the outcome right. of it. And, you know, I've cast it I mean, probably not 99 times, 50 times, though. Yeah. You know, have you ever cast it where you've the thing they flipped is, like, worse than the thing you got rid of? Well, I've cast it twice where the thing they flipped was the thing I got rid of. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> they so, just get it back. Yeah. Well, that, that counts, though. Yeah, that counts as well. So, I mean, I, I've had a couple of times where I regret it, but I think you're right. For the most part, you are pretty safe that you're not going to flip something worse. Yeah, once in a while you get something, it's like Oracle and Moldaya. Fine. That's not as bad as what it was, you yeah, know, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, 50-50, it's a land. Uh, not 50-50, but a high percentage, right? Cause, yeah, at least 30%. Yeah. Probably. Maybe. Um, so taking the outcome out of the equation, this is a point I think I definitely messed up because... And, and this is a little different than the others in that I think I didn't correctly take into account the types of deck I was facing. Right. And how important Chaos Warp was going to be to... Stopping a combo from going off. Yeah, because it specifically is very good against what Kessler's likely to do. And I have a lot of answers in the deck, possibly to a Massacre Worm, Mm -hmm. and very few to some sort of weird infinite combo with a Birthing Pod or an Ashnod's Altar. Right. Or, you know, because you can't destroy a creature in that loop because they're destroying it and bringing them back. So Mm -hmm. that doesn't help you much. Tucking is really good against some of this stuff, though, like the pod. Right. Um, so, you know, just, I, I think I just, I think the blade of selves hit the table and I was so focused on that. I wasn't thinking like, you know, in two turns, I'm not, probably going to regret yeah, not having this. It's tough because I mean, maybe Kessler played Revelark out because he knew he was able to combo off with it, or maybe he just played out to be mana efficient, but knowing the kind of player Kessler is, I think should have changed that decision more so. 
Well, and he knew the Blade of Selves thing like I did, so he plays Revelark thinking, well, if he does the Blade of Selves Massacre Warden thing, kills Revelark, brings two things back from mm-hmm. my graveyard, yeah. I'm not mad about that, right? That's totally fine with me. Right. So I'm almost, you know, he's 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 just sort of immune to it. Now, even Chaos Warping the Revelark right there would be good. Right. Because it doesn't get the trigger, he doesn't get the things back. You know, again, I don't know that I it, it would have been right to do that because there's still big threats out there but you can do it in response too so yeah i could also see it i mean like do you remember what your hand was at the time because if that massacre worm really affected everything in your hand that you couldn't even play a creature out or whatever that'd be bad but it was like mostly mana dorks it was gonna kill vile smasher he'd already killed most of my board because i only had vile smasher left right yeah and that's another really good point right like i'm really protecting one creature and I don't want to take the five damage to the face from mm-hmm. the thing, but at the same time, we I, we were all in our mid thirties. It wasn't like life total. Yeah, like it wasn't like dire. Like I was going to die from the actual combat damage. Right. So yeah, I think I was just blinded by. I didn't want to use lose vile smasher and the blade of cells thing. Was just a. It was scary to me, but I don't think that having taken a step back and being out of the moment, that it was actually the amount of alarm I had at what was going to happen was commensurate with the actual amount of damage or harm it was going to cause. Yeah, and, and it's also, I think, because Craig's deck has a higher chance of being, since it's a crash deck, a there's point. a higher chance of just things being nasty in there. And so the chance... There's a much you, lower chance of hit. If I hit a permanent, it's probably a huge monster. Yeah, it's going to be powerful. Yeah. Um, just because that's kind of how that deck runs. I don't know. It's really interesting because, you know, obviously you don't want to have to replay Vile Smasher over and over again. But worse comes to worse, you lose Vile Smasher, take some damage... Play but you again. still have, you know, I've seen you hold up one white and a black or two white and a black for, you know, your um, uh, utter ends all right, the time right. and then not use it. Like examine the board, be like, nah, I'll keep it. I think having an instant speed answer is just so important that it's almost damaging to not ha- give yourself that option if you don't have other ways in your hand of dealing with a deck like Kessler's. But maybe we didn't really fully know. I mean, I guess we did kind of know it was a Vile Smasher deck. I mean, we knew. I mean, not Vals, I say a birthday party. We yeah. knew 100% because we used to do the interviews before the game there. Oh, that's and he right. even told us, but I, we'd seen that deck because he used to have somebody else at the helm too. Uh, he'd switched it to partner commanders because they had come out and he yeah. could add like a color that way. But I mean, yeah, we knew. I, you know, I knew it was sort of an infinite combo y deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think I totally made the wrong decision. I think just holding the cast warp and not even casting it there was probably the right play. Yeah. And just waiting for the game to develop further. Um, and weathering the storm of a blade of selves on a massacre worm, which wouldn't have been that bad. You're taking five damage, it's destroying one creature. It's yeah. not it's not like it's not great, but it's not bad either. So yeah, maybe you did make the wrong decision for once in your lifetime. Oh Josh. yeah. No, there's many others. That's <laughs> just the one we picked out. Um okay. It's tough though. I could see why you would do it, especially given the extra information we were given. Because again, replaying Vile Smasher is the last thing you want to do in that deck. You know, if well, it didn't work in his favor. But it would be so awesome if someone like did the accidental reveal in order to cause you to make a wrong decision. Oh, wow. That would be so next level. But the thing is, it would have to have been Kessler revealing the yeah. Blade of Selves in that case. Because it really it was him that was ultimately you know, the beneficiary of it. But right. at the same time, that's a next level play. Well, you're like, also saying, please remove one of my things. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like... I, I mean, I, Craig wasn't doing that, obviously. And he, he has to have the read on you that you are going to cast a Chaos Warp. Yeah, true, true. There's a lot of factors going in. Craig, that was definitely next level, though. And big props to you, my friend, because, I don't know, maybe that'll get you invited back on game night sometime. <laughs> oh, don't start. We, 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 we'll we get him back. We'll get him back. Yeah, don't worry. We just have a big lineup right now of um, 
Yeah. Of guests. So one thing I wanted to touch on before we go to two of the listeners and kind of wrap up this discussion, because it was really interesting as we were going through and breaking down these little scenarios and situations, was sort of going through and looking at the criteria that we used to sort of determine what we were going to do and why, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like, well, all the things we listed as setup, you know, must be important to making a decision because we felt we had to lay it out for you in order for you to have a good chance to sort of make an informed decision. Like you can't just say, I have Chaos Warp, what do I cast it on? You have to say, well, the board looks like this and here's what happened and here's who's attacked who and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one thing, the board. What's the board look like? Um, Who's commander everybody's playing what their decks are likely to be who the player is you know we mentioned like oh it's kessler we know he plays in a certain way taking that into account which i probably didn't uh, enough maybe changes the decisions and also the game dynamics up to that point so in a lot of them we were like well mel had been attacking you Mm -hmm. or you know we know that ashlyn and josh were in a bit of a feud and that is something that can really um sort of weigh into the decision or the equation a lot so I think those yeah. are kind of, based on this, the four criteria. I think there are other things. Life totals, cards in hand mm-hmm. um, can certainly be... Knowledge of a deck is pretty important, too, if you played against the bunch. Because there have been a couple of points where I pinpointed, like, oh, Josh has exactly this right now, and I know it. I can just Cause, smell yeah, it. Because, yeah, I've played against this deck 20 times. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, He's going to try and win next turn. I know that about you sometimes, too, where I'm like, oh, oh I can sure. tell Jimmy's on the... The next turn's the I'm going to try and win turn. So that's the turn where I have to hold up I need, answers. I need or... to put more force of wills in my deck. What, what <laughs> uh, so now it's time for to the listeners. How do you view these situations that we talked about? Are, do any of the plans look differently? Any of your plans, would they be differently, uh, differently, different than yeah. what we would do? Would you make sort of a different decision? Would you factor in other things we didn't talk about? Or are there any other game points in our game nights? that you think we should have addressed yeah or that you disagree with where you're like why the heck did you make that play or that doesn't seem like the correct play or i would have done this that i'd be very interested to hear that yeah well maybe you're right it's very very possible you're right it's not like true yeah (laughs) commander's super complicated to the point where we've played with people who are very high level players and they'll like pros that will make mistakes because the board state is just so much more complex than what a one-on-one game can ever give you yeah and the the what you need to keep in mind as well as way bigger than like, oh, we're playing standard. I know that they're not going to path to exile anything anytime soon, you know? You also have to keep in mind things like, you know, is that player going to attack me? Mm-hmm. Which you don't have to in one-on-one because if they can, they are going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So uh, would love to do this more if you, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. If you watch Game Nights and you see other situations that have popped up that you sort of think are questionable or could go either way, let us know and maybe we'll do another episode like this in the future. This is a fun one. This is a fun one. Um, oh, well. You know what else, you know what is, else fun? is fun? <laughs> I was trying to think. <laughs> Ordering cards and having them arrive to you at a lightning fast pace. That's right. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. I'm not kidding when I say fast shipping. People have said they're like in Germany and they got their cards two days later, which is Crazy. absurd. It crossed Crazy. an ocean to get to that person. I'd say numer- the continent. numerous times per week we get a tweet from somebody being like, you guys said they were fast, but wow, they're yeah. even faster than I thought. And not just that, they have really great customer service as well. So if there's something wrong with your order, they'll definitely help address it. A lot of people have also said, oh, I ordered, but that didn't use your uh, affiliate link. You can just email them and tell them as well. 
We very much appreciate the support. So make sure you use cardkingdom.com slash command zone the yeah. next time you make a purchase. Helps us out a lot. Also, purchasing Ultra Pro products helps us out a ton. Clip sleeves, all of the theme stuff like the Ixlon theme playmats mm-hmm. and deck boxes and sleeves. And soon, the iconic Masters deck boxes, playmats, and sleeves. Ultra Pro kind of keeps you current and up to date on whatever the, the newest set is. And they actually announced this very recently next year, I believe, or late into this Christmas season, they're going to be doing all of the original, all of the new lands from John Avon's uh, un, un, sorry, un, unstable, unstabled lands on playmats. Oh, those and things look sweet. They're not going to, I'm pretty sure that when, from what I read in the email, they're not going to be like a limited print run or anything. They'll be available throughout 2018 and they all are beautiful lands. I want, I want all those. That mountain is, oh, goodness gracious. So, yeah, so Ultra Pro, again, they're always on top of making, you know, they're obviously the official Playmat sponsor for Magic and all that. So they're they're always on top of bringing you the best art that they can and put them on sleeves, high quality. All right, now it's time for the M-Step where we talk about something cool outside the world of Magic. I have something cool. This is very cool. It is Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. So I saw it last week. Lucky. It is... It's ridiculously good. Yeah. I've listened to the soundtrack about five times. The soundtrack is ridiculously good. I think, like, my cheeks hurt. Like, I'm just smiling the whole time. I was like, this is so amazing. <laughs> yeah, everything about it, huh? Everything about it is amazing. Like, the sister song is my favorite, I think. Yeah. When they're just like... She, yeah. That that song's great. The I forget the lady's name that was playing that, the sister, but... This is the Los Angeles yeah, production. Yeah, this is the Los Broadway. Angeles not production. Not Chicago, not Broadway, York, but... Yeah. Um, Oh man, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's it's amazing. If you ever have the chance to check it out, I would highly, you highly recommend it. You do have the chance to just get the soundtrack and listen to that because the first the first five times I listened to it, I could just listen to it as though it was a music album and didn't even really think about the fact that it was originally a stage play and that's where the soundtrack came from because the songs are just that good and the lyrics are just that amazing too. And you can follow along in each song. You learn a little bit as well as feel inspired. It's amazing. I mean, when you're watching it, listening to it, the thought that kept occurring in my head was like, man, there are some people in this world who are they're, they're just geniuses. Yeah. They're Lin-Manuel just brilliant. Miranda. Yeah. Brilliant. He's just brilliant. Like, it's the levels of like, you can't believe it are like, first of all, it's Alexander. It's about Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Of all what? people. <laughs> like, wh- who would think of doing just that? Yeah. Then to pull it off in this manner. Yeah. Like, oh, it's crazy. So good. So good. Check out Hamilton. Um, a big thanks to Vinny for providing the tickets to Josh. Yeah, Vincent Trong, one of the game nights. Vinny one of the game nights, hooked yeah. it up. Thank you, Vinny. In, in the court of nights, with, along with the rest of us. <laughs> uh, one of our other game nights, Alex Kessler, he teams up with his friend Ben Bateman, and they do an awesome podcast about we'll have modern. We'll on at some point, too. Yeah, we will. Called the uh, Masters of Modern. You can find that podcast right next to us at Collected.Company. You can follow them on Twitter at the MMCast. They talk about the modern format, all things competitive magic. Our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. Big thanks to Terry. He edits the video and audio versions of this podcast. So if you have a chance, head on over to YouTube.com slash The Command Zone Podcast in order to watch all of our videos. And that includes the Game Night series. And again, we talked about just Game Night's episodes this time. If you haven't seen any of them, you're crazy. Please. Yeah, you're crazy. Please go watch them. Uh, you'll get a much better understanding of what happens in the game. Uh, and those episodes are beautifully crafted by Josh and now by Terry as well, who is in Los Angeles. So welcome to the city, Terry. Oh, and Some much-needed help. Thank you, Terry. Much-needed help. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who you can find on Twitter at LivingCardsMTG. He did the awesome opening and closing animations, as well as this awesome 
Fresh Kanta. Fresh Kanta behind us. And I've been covering up them. I've been trying to do this to show the Merfolk chilling right over here the whole time. But my head's been in the way for most of the podcast. So, yeah, make sure you guys check that out. YouTube.com slash Command Zone Podcast. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.